0: You know, we're a church family. And as a church family, again, we come together and we celebrate and we praise God. But we also come together to share one another's burdens. And there's been several families who have been uh, grieving this last week. Uh, This last week, we lost Sister Betty Brown. Brother John's here this morning. He's sitting right back here for the first time in a long time. Kathy also is here. They've been attending online for a long time as they have taken care of Miss Betty. We're glad y'all are back and our hearts and prayers go out to you. Curtis Maxwell. Curtis is sitting right here and Curtis lost his younger sister this week. uh, Sheila D. Berry and uh, her funeral arrangements are being planned right now but our heart goes out to Curtis as well. And then Sister Nancy Tucker. uh, Brother uh, Jerry Tucker passed away and his funeral will be tomorrow at And our heart goes out to them. And so we have just so many that we need to remember. And and so I'm going to ask you if you would, let's bow together just for a moment as we just ask God to bless the hearts of those who are hurting. Father, we thank you so much for being our God. You are truly the God of all comfort. the God who understands our pain, understands the suffering we endure, who's endured so much more beyond our wildest imaginations, Because you loved us so much. And so, Father, we pray blessings upon each of these families we've mentioned. We know that there are others that all of us know who are hurting, who are sick. Father, who've lost loved ones. And so we we, we plead, Father, with you as our Heavenly Father. That you will provide comfort and peace that passes understanding. And that you, Father, you'll wrap your loving arms around us at this time and help us to do the same as your representatives in this world. We pray all of this in the name of the blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We are at the almost at the end of our series of discussions on uh, Matthew. Uh, we've been looking at Matthew, the disi- Master Disciple Maker, now for uh, today's 27 weeks. Uh, next week, John Michael will be finishing us up. John preached the very first lesson on this, and so when I came to him here a few weeks ago and I said, hey, need need you to you know, pick a Sunday to preach. He he looked and he said, I want the last. One. He said, I started the series. I want to finish the series. And I know John will do a fantastic job. Thank you. We look forward to that, John, next week as we finish out this series. But as you know, uh, each uh, not each week, but in many weeks, we've had tests. And uh, I remember, Rodney, a long time ago, I was in grad school in Memphis. And uh, Dr. Carol Osborne was my Greek professor. I was taking the book of Hebrews, the study of the uh, Greek uh, Hebrew uh, epistle. And he came in for final exam. And I'll never forget this. He walked in and he said, okay, get out 10 pieces of paper. And so we're all getting out 10 sheets of paper. And then after we all got the paper out, he said, all right, you have three hours to write down everything you know about the book of Hebrews. And then he walked out. All right, get out 10 sheets of paper, if you would. All right, no, not that bad. We only have 20 questions, so here we go. We don't even have those. Uh, In doing these tests, one of the things I wanted to do was to encourage you to at least learn the basics of the book of Matthew so that when somebody comes to you and says, you know, where do I read about this? Where do I go to hear this? I mean, where in the Bible does it say this that you would at least be able to say, well, you know what, go over in the book of Matthew. For instance, if somebody said, where do you find the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount? Well, if you remember nothing else from this entire series, just remember where the Sermon on the Mount is, chapters 5 through 7. I mean, the greatest sermon ever preached by a human being, of course, being Jesus himself. Question number two. Where would you go to find a a list of the parables? I mean, the examples of the parables, the stories that Jesus told. And, of course, Matthew is good about taking those and putting a bunch of them together in chapter 13, beginning with the parable of the sower and going through several of those uh, stories that he told in order to teach about the kingdom of God. And then Stan, several weeks ago, preached right on the central theme of Matthew. I mean, the pinnacle of the gospel is where do you go to hear Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, the very first time that, you know, who do men say that I am, but who do you say? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the answer to that is chapter 16. Such an important chapter about who Jesus is and who we need to confess as Lord. Question number four, in what chapter does Jesus enter Jerusalem for Passion Week? I mean, most of each of the four Gospels spend their time looking at that last week of Jesus' life. In John's gospel, it's about almost half of his entire gospel. And the answer in Matthew's gospel is Matthew 21, with his entrance uh, into Jerusalem on that Sunday that we we call, you know, that, that wonderful grand entrance. And then question number five, in what chapter is Jesus crucified and buried? And if you've read your chapter this week, you know it's chapter 27. Chapter 27 could be summarized in two simple words. Simply the crucifixion It's a long chapter. A lot of information. No way you could preach on it in one sermon. But I would like to just kind of give you a synopsis of what's going on in this particular gospel. In Matthew 27, it begins with the Sanhedrin putting Jesus on trial and then coming to a decision that they're going to put him to death. The Jewish Sanhedrin is their court. Seventy members, elders, met, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, and they come together because they want to get rid of Jesus. Not everyone agreed. We know that, that uh, you had Nicodemus who didn't agree to it, Joseph of Arimathea who didn't agree to it. And I suspect a handful of others. But the majority wants to see Jesus gone, and so they decide to kill Jesus. And then in right after that, Matthew does something unique. He tells us about Judas' response. Luke does a little bit of that over in the first chapter of Acts, but just a little bit of it. It's just a very brief comment. But Matthew wants to tell the story more because if you knew anything about Jerusalem, you knew what happened as a result of it. We'll talk about that here in a moment. This, follows, uh, or this is followed by Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate. And then, of course, his trying to get Jesus out of it by by offering to release someone to the people on that Passover day and and they chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. Jesus is then given over to be scourged and mocked and, and, you know, a a crown of thorns put on his head, a purple robe put on him, soldiers kneeling in front of him, you know, proclaiming him as king and then laughing about it. And then Jesus is crucified. As simple as that. We'll talk about that here in just a second. He dies on the cross, he's buried, and guards are placed at the tomb because of the rumors he'd be raised the third day, which we of course know is true. Everything you see up here may seem like a story that happened a long time ago. But I think we need to realize that everything we see up here is actually about us. I don't know if you've ever been invited to, you know, Picture yourself in a in a scene in a book or perhaps in a movie. I mean, if you were in that particular story, what we, who would you be and what would you be doing? Well, we need to realize that we are in this story. Every one of us. Now, we may identify with some of the characters. But let me tell you that there is a sense in which we're in this story unlike any other story we're a part of. And I hope you'll realize this as we just kind of reflect on the crucifixion of Jesus. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. If you go to the other Gospels, you'll read that in reality, Jesus was tried twice that night. Once in front of Annas, who had been high priest, and who a lot of the Jews still considered high priest. And then he was carried over to Caiaphas, who was his son-in-law, who was the current high priest, and he was tried there. Jesus would end up being tried, in reality, four times that day. And so they had tried him and decided early in the morning to send him over to Pilate so that Pilate could pronounce judgment, because they didn't have the power of the death penalty at that time. And yet, if you look at that story and you think, wow, what a horrible thing. Peter is quick to tell us in Acts chapter 2 in the first gospel sermon that even though this happened, it was part of the plan of God. I mean, notice the language there. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. And so the number one observation is that Jesus' sentence to death was not happenstance. This wasn't a mistake. It wasn't the Jews all at once deciding they're not going to accept Jesus. It was the plan of God from the beginning of time. And we need to realize that. And then you have the story of Judas. It's fascinating, almost haunting, the way the text reads. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. I don't know of anyone who spent much time on this. I mean, we know Peter followed Jesus. We know John was there during the trial of Jesus. But most of us don't stop to ask, where was Judas? I mean, when Judas went up and kissed Jesus and the soldiers arrested him, what happened to Judas? Where did he go? And my guess is he went back with the the soldiers. He went back and and watched the trial. I mean, nothing is said about Judas except this one line. When he saw, he is there and he's watching the results of his actions. And I don't know what what Judas was thinking. If I was a guessing man, I I would think that he thought, here's an easy way to make some money. I mean, Jesus has gotten out of situation after situation after situation. He's walked through crowds where they were demanding that he be killed, and he's just walked through the middle of them, and nobody could touch him. Surely, he'll do the same this time. But it doesn't happen that way and he realizes that Jesus is condemned, and what does he do? He goes back to the temple, to the temple courts, to the people he had made a deal with, with the 30 pieces of silver, and he says to them, listen, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, and he throws the money there in the temple. And, of course, their response is, what's that to us? I mean, you're the one that betrayed him. Come on, give us a break. And the text simply says that he departed and went out and hanged himself. The money, oftentimes depicted in movies about Jesus being quickly picked up by the priest, that money was taken out, and we'll see here in a moment what was done with it. But but one of the questions oftentimes is asked: is that did did Judas repent? Did his sorrow cause him to turn back to God? And and I've oftentimes thought of this text in Second Corinthians seventeen of where Paul writes, and I can't help but wonder if Paul thought about Judas as he wrote these various words, for godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But look at the next phrase, whereas worldly grief produces death, which is exactly what happened to Judas. And Matthew, writing all of these years later, talks about how that the priest who picked up the money said, we can't put this in the treasury because it's blood money. Now, now I want you all to think for a moment. They're the ones who paid it to Judas. They're the, one, they're the ones who arranged Jesus to be executed. And now they're conscientious about putting it back in the treasury? Are you serious? And that, that is exactly how so oftentimes we compartmentalize our lives. I mean, on Sunday, boy, it's all about God. And on Monday, it's all about me. And I mean, we we have this phenomenal way of, of yes, I'll get back in tune with God today, but tomorrow I'm going to do something as opposite of God as possible. And that's the way these priests were. Matthew says that they took the money and went out and bought a piece of property to, be, to, to bury strangers who died. Called it the potter's field. And I want you to notice the last line there. And Matthew writing all these years later says, by the way, it's still called the field of blood to this day. I mean, after all these years, it's been probably 30 plus years, and Matthew said they still call it the field of blood. And only an eyewitness would have known that, and Matthew shares that with us. So observation number two, and boy, this is a big one, even Jesus lost one of his disciples. You know, oftentimes when we try to reach people, we think, what if somebody turns me down? What if somebody says they're not interested? What if somebody starts, but then they turn their back? And we need to realize, listen, it's not us that they're turning their back on. It's Jesus and ultimately God. And Jesus even experienced that. They take Jesus to to Pilate. Pilate begins by saying, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. Jesus responded. They had all kinds of witnesses that came forward. Other gospels accounts tell us that. The entire time, what's Jesus doing? I mean, I mean, the text says that Pilate is amazed. Do you hear all these charges? Are you not going to say anything? And of course, the answer is not. He's not going to open his mouth. Pilate realizes, boy, we've got to do something. He knows that's out of jealousy that they brought Jesus here. He knows that that this claim that he's king of the Jews, of course, is true, but in Pilate's mind, it's not the kind of king he ever recognized. And he's like. You know, he's not guilty of anything. And so Pilate schemes and comes up with this idea. I'll let him through or let him loose by this custom that I have. You see, it's Passover. Passover celebrates the Israelites being set free from Egyptian slavery. And so Pilate, when he came, wanted to do a favor for the Jews. And so every Passover, he would release a prisoner. Kind of like releasing the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. And so he uses that and he says, listen, I want to release one of the prisoners like I normally do. And then he comes up with this plan. And the plan is to release either Jesus or Barabbas. Now, while he's thinking about this, his wife sends word to him. And his wife says, listen, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I just woke up. I have suffered terribly in dreams because of him. You ever had one of those dreams? You ever had a dream where you know you're dreaming but you can't get out of it? I mean, you want to wake up so bad you can't and, and and you're trying to do something and you just can't right get it done. I mean, Rodney, my my worst nightmare, and I've had it multiple, multiple, multiple times, is I've got an appointment to go and preach somewhere and I can't get there. No matter what I try, I can't get there. And I'm like, I gotta get there, and I look and my sermon's not with me. I gotta get there and my car's not running. I've got to get there, and I'm just frantically trying to get somewhere and I can't get there, and I wake up exhausted. I mean, Jews, like, oh, couldn't get somewhere to preach again. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Ah. And it it just it just happens to me. We all have nightmares. You know. And Pilate's wife had one that just haunted her. And she let Pilate know about it. And so Pilate said, Who do you want me to release? Here's Barabbas, this horrible murderer, this insurrectionist, this terrible human being. Here's Barabbas. By the way, Barabbas means son of the father. Think about that. Here's Barabbas. Some translations even call him Jesus Barabbas. And so here is Barabbas. Here is Jesus of Nazareth, the one you call king of the Jews. Which one you want me to release to you? And, of course, the chief priest and the, and, 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 and the elders, they persuade the crowd to ask for Barabbas. And of course, Pilate is stunned. You want Barabbas over Jesus? You gotta be kidding me. But it's here that we need to pause. It's here we need to realize that we are barabbas. That this whole story of do you want me to release Jesus or do you want me to release the Son of the Father? We are the sons and the daughters of the Father. Every one of us. We're the ones that the choice has to be made. Is it Jesus or is it us? Who pays for their crimes? And Barabbas is set free and Jesus is sent to the cross who had never sinned once. Does it sound familiar? We are Barabbas. And so Pilate takes and washes his hands. And he says, I'm free. I'm free from this man's blood. Innocent. See to it yourself. And their response is, "His blood be on us and our children. I was talking to Stan this last week about this very text. And Stan said, you know, Les, the irony in that text is so powerful. He's right. I mean, not only were these people saying his blood be on us because we'll take responsibility for it. But Matthew put this in here because he's basically saying, everybody who reads my gospel, I hope you'll pause for a moment because his blood's on us. It's just as much my sins that sent him to the cross as it was their sins. It's just as much your sins that sent him to the cross as it was their sins. And, and, And the irony is this, Jesus' blood is on all of us, both since our sins are responsible for the shedding of his blood, but even more so because if we turn to him, it's his blood that covers us so that we don't have to be responsible for those sins. It's our sins. And it's his blood. And every one of us is responsible. They take Jesus and they scourge him. They they mock him. They put the robe on him. They beat him. Crown of thorns. And then they take him out to Golgotha, Calvary, to the place of the skull. And Matthew simply writes as simple as can be in verse 35. And when they had crucified him. One of the things about all four of the gospel writers is that they don't go into details. I mean, there are details there, but they don't go into the details the way we would like to go into the details and the way we preachers sometimes go into the details. You see, they had seen scourgings, They had witnessed crucifixions. Matthew didn't have to describe it. Many, many years ago, Mel Gibson decided he would at least try to give an image of what Jesus went through. Out of curiosity, how many of you have seen Passion of the Christ? Okay, the majority of us in here have seen it. I remember going down to Hundred Oaks. We had rented a big block of tickets for our church. And we went down on a Sunday night, and we all filed in to watch this movie, filmed in Aramaic, of all crazy things, depicting the incredible suffering of Jesus. And I'll never forget how it ended. I mean, when the movie was over, The theater was packed. Multiple theaters were showing the movie at the same time there at at Hundred Oaks. And as we all began to file out, there was just total silence. I mean, maybe a whisper here and there, but it was just stunned. Absolutely stunned silence. As we all walked out. And, And it's because we live in a world that we've sanitized the death penalty. Let's face it. Most of us don't head out to River Bend to say, can I watch an electrocution? Or can I watch someone being put to death by, you know, an injection? I mean, 150 years ago, executions were out in public. 2,000 years ago, they were out in public. People knew what they were like. We don't. And so the gospel writers simply said, and they scourged him, and they crucified him. What I love next is what Matthew does in, in his gospel. Matthew is so focused on fulfillment all the way through the gospel. It was fulfilled. It was fulfilled. This was, uh, happened so that it might be fulfilled. I mean, he is just laser focused on that. And then he gets to the crucifixion, and all at once, he's, he's telling the story, and anybody familiar with Psalm 22 is going, wait a minute, Matthew, didn't this fulfill, and didn't this fulfill, and didn't this fulfill? And Matthew's obvious answer is, do I need to tell you that? This is Psalm 22, and I, and I put in yellow. You can see up here on the screen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I mean, the very first line of the psalm is a quote Jesus made from the cross. They they mocked him. All who see me mock me. They make uh they they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Very thing Matthew describes. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You go on, download uh, two more paragraphs. They've pierced my hands and my feet, and they've divided my garments among them for my clothes. They've cast lots, and that's just a inkling of the fulfillments of this particular song. And it's almost like, what? Yeah. It's Matthew saying, if you don't see the fulfillment here, I can't help you. I mean, it's just all through this particular text. Why? Because Jesus came to be the fulfillment of everything and the law and the prophets and the Psalms. In Luke chapter 24, he he meets the apostles up in the upper room after his resurrection. And he said, didn't I tell you that? You should have seen it. I've been telling you it the entire time. Which is why you notice here in Matthew 27, about the ninth hour after the three hours of darkness, what does he cry? He cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which, by the way, is not so much a cry of despair, which it well may be, but it's Jesus saying, do you not realize what I'm saying to you? You see, they didn't have books. Uh, they had books, but they didn't have chapters and verses back then. And the way that you would tell someone about a passage is simply begin to quote the first line of it. Especially the Psalms. By the way, we still do that. You ever notice that in our songbooks, Blake, we go to the back, we can either find the song by the title or the first line. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I mean, all I have to do is start, and you're all, oh, that song. Yeah. Just as I am. All you got to do is just say the first words. And here's Jesus on the cross saying the first words and basically saying I hope you read the rest of it and then the text ends by saying after he had cried again he yielded up his spirit again it's about us all of this is about me and about you look at what Paul said for while we While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly? Yeah. That's me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners... That needs to sink in. We're sinners. We never measure up. We, we never get it right. We can't. Not in the world that we live in and not in the state that we're in. Brothers and sisters, i am messed up. I've always been messed up. I can put on a coat, a tie, and clean up a little bit. But only Jesus can take away what's underneath it. Look at that last line. Christ died for us. Would you say this one with me together? Will you say it? Let's do it. Jesus died for me. I've got to start right here. It's where you've got to start. He died for me. And boy, when he died, curtain of the temple ripped from top to bottom. That that curtain of the temple was probably as high as this auditorium. It was a massive curtain there in the temple. And all at once, it just ripped. That curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, where only the high priest could go once a year, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom for a reason. Rocks began to be torn apart. The earth began to shake. And then you have this weird text here of where the saints of old, some of them came to life. The ESV ESV tries to deal with this text. It's a very difficult text just to translate. And so a lot of times people are like, what in the world is going on here? Notice, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. Okay, notice the language there. After his resurrection, They went into the holy city and appeared to many. And so the question is, when were they raised from the dead? Were they raised when Jesus died and the rock shook? Or were they raised when the rock shook the next time and Jesus was raised from the dead? I don't know that it makes a difference. But what I do know is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the death of Jesus Christ is what gives us all hope that one day we will be raised. That's why I can go to a cemetery and say, listen, this is not our loved one's final resting place. There is a day of resurrection coming. And it's coming for all of those of us who sent Jesus to the cross and has his blood on us, but then were redeemed from our sins because his blood covers us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the Tearing it apart, which of course he did through the sacrifice of his body. And when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. Soldiers, Roman soldiers, who now believe that something amazing just happened. I believe with all of my heart that this centurion was the first to proclaim the gospel after Jesus' death. Now, you'd have Mary Magdalene who had proclaimed it after the resurrection, but even at the point of the death, this centurion looked and said, this person was the Son of God. And that's the message we have for the world. And so today, as we go, number one, read Matthew 28. Let's finish out well. Let's all read Matthew 28 for next week. Number two, reflect on the story of Barabbas. Now, that story, that story's your story. That story's my story. We need to think about that. And if you have children, don't shy away from talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Just keep it simple. You know, sometimes as our children is young, they learn, you know, they hear Jesus died for me. But what does that mean for them? Don't shy away from sharing it with them. But at the same time, keep it age-appropriate. I think that's very, very important. And then finally, would you pray this week for our country? That God will use his word to bring about revival in America because we desperately, we've been praying all year for Sumner County, for Hendersonville, for Gallatin and Billisville, White House, Madison, all of our surrounding communities. Let's pray this week as we finish out well. Let's pray for our country as we enter another round of elections that God will put in place people, but also put in place us, his people, to bring about revival in America. If you have a need this morning, we have elders who will be in both the front and the back uh, foyer. They'll have name tags that says elders. If you have a prayer need, go to them, share with them, let them pray with you. If you'd like to be baptized, go and tell them, they'll be glad to arrange it. Or if you want to just come and tell me, I'll be down front right now as together we stand and sing.